Enlighten Me, the podcast everyone is talking about with your host, Julian, where wisdom, knowledge, and experience meet the public. All right, this is your host, Julian, with Enlighten Me, and we're live right now. Uh, before we get started, if y'all can uh, go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel, as well as search uh, Enlighten Me on Spotify, Google, Amazon, and uh, Apple Podcasts. And we have a very, 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 very profound podcast we're going to do today. But uh, before we get started again, if you can go ahead and shoot me an email at enlightenme at julian at gmail.com. If you have any comments, and please take a second right now, just rate. Whether it's one, two, three, four, or five, just rate it. I'd appreciate that a lot. And we got two guests on here. How are you doing, Nikki and Sean? We're good. Thank you. Thank you I am me. great. Yeah, thanks for having us. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Um, Nikki, can you uh, briefly introduce yourself, please? Absolutely. So I'm Nikki. I'm a speech therapist. I'm from the D.C. area. And the issues that we're going to be discussing on this podcast today is basically about what's happening in Iran. Um, this is an incredibly important issue to me because I am an Iranian-American, and I want to advocate for my people and help give them a voice as they're being silenced and tortured in the mother country. Um, I'll discuss this further with our other guest, Sean. Um, but this is the first female-led revolution in the world, and I wouldn't be doing my part if I didn't use my voice here. So thank you, Julian, again for hosting us today as your guest. But of course, but of course. Uh, and uh, Dr. Sean. Hi, yeah. So I'm, uh, my name is Sean, or Dr. Sean. I'm chief resident in plastic surgery at UCLA. I'm currently in my final year of training. I'm also Iranian-American, uh, living in Los Angeles, but I'm also from the D.C. area. Um, basically, yeah, I mean, kind of to touch on what Nikki was, Nikki was saying, we're going to be talking about what's going on in Iran. I think um, it's really easy to get a little bit drowned out with all the other news going on in the world at all times. But um, both Nikki and I feel really passionate about this because, you know, partially because it is our home country. Yes. But also on, on top of it, it really does um, the implications of what happens in Iran are much greater than I think a lot of people, especially American and non-Iranian people, realize. So that's kind of why we just wanted to come on here, talk about what's happening, and then really uh, hone in on kind of what the consequences would be of an actual revolution in the Iranian regime uh, and kind of what people can actually do to help out. Thank yep. you, Sean. I, th I appreciate you uh, coming on, both of you coming on to speak. Uh, I'll put this in there. I forgot to say that if you have a business, please shoot me an email and I would love to shout it out and hopefully get you uh, some traffic your way. So oh, it sounds this, good. This uh, podcast, this all st stimulated off of Masa Amini. Did I say it correctly? Yes. 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 22-year-old who passed away 13 September from not wearing her uh, hijab properly. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know if, um, I guess we can both piggyback off each other, but yeah, basically what happened was in Iran, um, as, as many people know, there's a compulsory, compulsory hijab that is required because the government is a theocracy. And Sean and I will touch on how the Iranian government does not represent the Iranian people. But essentially she was you know, taken in by the mortality police because she wasn't wearing her hijab all the way to cover her, even like a little bit of her baby hairs. And they basically tortured her and, you know, she, they killed her. And that's how this whole movement started. And so it's a female led revolution. And so many children, women were all advocating, trying to raise awareness about everything that's going on 
um, in Iran, basically. Um, and I'll let Sean kind of piggyback off of me here, but that's just kind of a little bit in summary. We'll go more into it. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, to kind of bring it to the American perspective, Masa Amini was certainly not the first um, of, of, you know, of the Iranian population to serve, serve uh, sorry, sat at the hands of this morality police. But this kind of is the Iranian equivalent of like our George Floyd moment, you know, where police brutality in the United States is nothing new, especially not in the black community or in the um, in the uh, underserved populations of the United States. But it was just this kind of one death that really resonated with everybody, especially because she was visiting Tehran from um, from the Kurdish regions of Iran and like the northwestern areas. She was purely just visiting to explore. She was young. She was about to get a job. Um, and, you know, basically on a technicality, just because the morality police officers who saw her decided that she wasn't wearing it, quote unquote, correctly, like as, as um, Nikki said, they ended up taking her into custody and then beating her to death. Um, and I think when that happened, it, one thing I really heard from my family in Iran, and my family here, especially the women, was that. Massa's story really resonated with them because they kind of realized that any of them could have been Massa. You know, there was no mm -hmm. real reason as to why Massa was taken other than just because the police at the time were feeling like she wasn't wearing her job correctly. Um, and it just kind of really highlighted that injustice. And then when you look at all the other um, geopolitical aspects of Iranian society right now with rising inflation, you know, crippling sanctions, general instability, this was essentially just the, the straw that broke the camel's back. This is the first woman's rights, or this is actually highlighting women's rights as I was, and as uh, first woman's revolution, is that correct? Absolutely. It's the first yes. female-led revolution, yes. And, you know, we're really fighting, you know, this is gender apartheid, and um, so this is, this is huge. I mean, um, you know, in Iran, there's, there's just so much, it's, it's kind of crazy. So there's a, you know, we're not just fighting the compulsory hijab. Um, women just don't have any rights in Iran that protect them from domestic violence. They can't dance in the street. They can't sing solo in the street. They can't even ride a bike. They can't become president. They can't become a judge. Marital rape is legal in Iran. Um, the age of marriage in Iran for women is nine years old. They can't become supreme leaders and they basically have no control of their lives. And they're more educated than most of the men in Iran, which is the craziest part. So this is huge. And this revolution is being led by women and especially women and men. And most of them are under the age of 18, which is the craziest part. And, you know, the, you know, the mortality police and they're taking them you know, in and they're torturing them and they're using actually rape as a tactic, which is honestly just makes my body shake the way that they torture the Iranian people and the way that they've continued to torture the Iranian people since, you know, the revolution has happened in Iran in 1979. I mean, it's just been, it's gotten worse and worse and there's been so many different you know, revolutions over the years. We had the Green Movement in 2009 um, when people were unhappy with um, the president, Ahmadinejad. They wanted to overthrow him and they weren't happy about that because they felt like that, you know, was rigged as an election. And then, you know, in 2017, there was another uprising. And then this one is just definitely the biggest one in 
the world is a female-led revolution. And this impacts us as a whole, like all different countries, surrounding countries. I mean, Iran has ties with like Putin, who's also helping out with like hurting people in Ukraine. I mean, it's all so political and we all need to stand together as, you know, a whole world really to like help because things are just getting worse and worse. So that's why I want to just, you know, educate the public and everyone about what's going on and what we can do just as individual citizens of any country. Yeah, yeah I, and I think it's really interesting about uh, the Iran Republic stating that she just passed away, that she was never killed and she just passed away. But the, I couldn't find any specifications on exactly what they meant by she just passed away. And that, that was is very vague. I couldn't find anything well, that's, at all, actually. Right, yeah, that's, right. The, that's, I think, the interesting thing. That, that really highlights um, a lot of the actions you're seeing coming from the government, especially after the passing of Mount Sinai on the world stage, really highlights kind of, one, their hypocrisy, and two, how ineffective they are at actually getting control of the people. Because, you know, the reason Mount Sinai's story even came to fruition was because um, there, it was reported on by a news reporter in Iran um, that she had been taken into custody and killed by the morality police. And then out of nowhere on social media, a photo of Mass Amini surfaced showing her in the hospital um, on, an, on a ventilator being intubated um, and basically in a coma. And then what was also unique as well was that Mass Amini's family, unlike many other families who experienced this kind of tragedy in Iran, they were not really f afraid of the government. And right when the government came out and said that she died, you know, at first they said she died because she had some brain surgery at the age of eight and it was a complication of that. And then the family basically came out and refuted that. So that in and of itself was huge to have the family, the mother, yep. the father of Mass Amini to actually come out and speak out against the government and then clarify that response. But the reason it also highlights that ineffectiveness is because clearly the government just kind of throws things at a wall to see what sticks when it comes to communicating oh, yeah. with the people. You know, it's like genuine fascism where they're like, oh, you guys, we don't even, we're not going to give you enough respect to assume that you're going to even think we're lying. We're just going to lie straight to your face. And they'll change the story every two seconds, which is also why people are just sick of it. And at this point, they don't believe anything they say. Yeah, they were trying to condemn uh, Western media and social media saying that uh, they don't talk about Afghanistan, Palestine, or Yemen. So why, why are they focusing on us? Yeah, and I think and that's it's, like, yeah. it's, it's the bigger picture right now that Iran is leading this revolution. Totally. And I think you look at, like, you look at that playbook that they're using. If you, if you understand the history of how the Islamic Republic came into power, you understand why they default to blaming it on Israel and the U.S., because the anger in which the Islamic regime in the late 1970s was able to ride into power after the Shah was overthrown was anger at U.S. interference, at Israeli or perceived Israeli interference into the country over the past like 20, 30 years at the time. So that's what's funny is that it really shows their lack of originality where they're still coming and they're using the chance of like death to America, death to Israel. Mm -hmm that worked in the 1970s, but they're not realizing that, oh, the population is not mad at the US, the population is not mad at Israel. The government is just so outdated and so stuck in its old ways that they just come out and they say, well, no, this is Israel and America's fault, but like from the ground in Iran, no one's buying that. Yeah, and even uh, America's lifting up sanctions, I think tech, they were exempt yeah. tech sanctions to allow uh, more Iranians to actually 
access to internet and things like exactly. that. Exactly. So that's yes. that's good. That's really good. You're about to say something, Nikki? Oh, no. I mean, I was just going to discuss, I don't know if Sean wants to piggyback here, but we, I don't know if you were aware or heard about um, the UN now has a fact-finding mission to investigate human rights violations of the Islamic regime. Um, and so basically, it's it's kind of crazy. They're actually like creating fake, um, like, what is it, passports and IDs for people that they've murdered and killed to kind of hide what they're doing behind the scenes. And um, so, you know, we just, it's its just crazy. I mean, it's just the, the government is so corrupt and, you know, we have um, many people are, there's two sides kind of to what's happening with FIFA and Iran and soccer and how, you know, their regime is playing a role in even something as simple as sports right now. Um, there was a game a couple of days ago where Iran played um, England and England won. And some of the soccer players decided not to play while others still decided to play. And I honestly, I see both sides, you know, some of the soccer players, they're still dealing with this awful regime that all of you know the Iranian people are suffering from. Um, and it sucks because, you know, the president of Iran is shaking hands with, you know, these soccer players and kind of using them as pawns um, to, you know, as a as a form of power. And so, um, yeah, it's just been crazy. And I know that Qatar also, you know, supports Iran as a government. And yeah. they are there are people protesting right now or like holding up signs that say Masa Amini, you know, at the soccer games. Well, in... I know they wouldn't let a, a lady through if uh, she had a shirt on. They could yes, exactly. Yeah. So I was going to share yeah. that. So it's just like they still have control and they, you know, it's just it's just crazy. I mean, don't get me started about how corrupt, you know, FIFA is <laughs> as an organization and oh, yeah. that's a whole different issue. But. Yeah. And, and so it's just hard because I think the Iranian people are suffering from different angles um, because, you know, it's like they want their team to win. But at the same time, it's like they don't want them to win under this kind of regime. So it's like I see both sides of the coin here. Well, wasn't, the, wasn't the soccer team threatened that if they didn't say the national? Yes. They, I mean, they're always threatened. They yeah. And that's the worst it. part. They have to do like forced confessions sometimes, like certain individuals. Not I don't know about the soccer team specifically, but, you know, even people who have been, um, you know, political prisoners for years. They, because of what the UN is doing now, they've like released some of them or because of their health issues, but they don't, they don't care. They're just trying to cover their own, you know, their own asses for lack of better words. Um, and it's, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Yeah, I will say the soccer team. So like you can see that stark difference between if you look at the Iran-England game, versus the Iran-Wales game that happened yesterday. Um, you know, the Iran-England game, the soccer players didn't sing the national anthem, which, like, for a lot of Iranians, like my family members in Iran, they, they weren't really satisfied with that, but they were like, okay, at least they did something. Um, but then in the interim period, um, there is this a, a, a very prominent soccer player, um, Voria Gafuri in Iran, yes. who, was, who was arrested in the interim between those two games for speaking out. And he was a, he was a, he used to be a big soccer player and he spoke out against the regime. They quickly arrested him and they made that very public. And then you saw yesterday at the Wales uh, Iran game, all of the players for the most part sang along to some extent to the national anthem. So it is a lot of this kind of underlying, it's very mafioso mob esque, you know, they basically, yes. they're like, Oh, you're not going to, you you think you're going to stand up against us. 
let me remind you exactly what I can do to you. And the thing is, a lot of these soccer players, they themselves, a lot of them live in Europe. Mm-hmm. But their families are still back in Iran. So exactly. you have to think like when they stand up against the government, not putting themselves as much at risk, but they're certainly. So it is because they are expecting kind of strength and they want to see people stand up for them, especially their own people. But it's tough or just putting yourself on the line where you're putting all of your family members at risk because this regime has zero regard for human rights and for nice. respecting humanity. You know, they will go after anyone. They kill children. They don't care. Yeah, I, I saw that. And I, back to the UN, I, I did see the vote. It was a uh, 25 to 6 on the vote. So the UN yeah. is pushing. But again, at, when Iranian Republic started started speaking, they were like, no, this is not happening. We don't know what you're talking about. None of this is going on. The West, the Western uh, Western soci- society is actually trying yeah. to put more on what it is and what it's not. So. I think, and I think their hope is, I mean, one, they very tactically always put one of the women in the regime up there to speak, a woman like covered in complete, yeah, and she's covered in her job. And there are some pretty good videos on social media going around circulating where it's just showing like a split screen image of this woman talking about how, oh, there's nothing going on in Iran. They love human rights. They've advanced women. I mean, it's split screen, split screens it, with them showing with like women being dragged by their hair, like beaten right. in the street. Like, you know, so obviously it's, they take tactic and we've seen that all over the world. We see that here, with, oh, yeah. um, you know, like, especially I think with specific types of media, you see that where they, like the Black Lives Matter protests, it was a split screen based on what network you were watching. When you were watching Fox right. News, it was that they were talking about how, you know, children are getting murdered in the streets by Black Lives Matter rioters and Antifa, but then you'd watch another network and it was a completely different reality. So I think the Iranian government is just hoping that they can ride this wave of lies until the next big thing happens, you know? I think, like, I think oh, TikTok well, is uh, yeah. helpful with that. Yes. I'm mostly TikTok. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's, I think, what's fascinating with this is, you know, both Nikki and I have been to a lot of, like, we've been to protests yeah. in person here in the U.S. And mm-hmm. one thing that was fascinating to me is, like, I've been to the L.A. one in Los Angeles, like, four times now. And each time there's like anywhere between 10 to 20,000 people on the streets blocking the roads, everything. There is not a single mainstream news truck anywhere to be seen. But I was at the Black Lives Matter protest. And if there were 20 people, 30 people, 40 people, there was like an entire militia standing there waiting guard with news stations and everything. So there is this strange lack of coverage going on and they're getting more and more. But... Mm -hmm. It just this is an instance in which you see the power of social media. And that's why yes. Iranians have been screaming, please share our stories. Because Keep the hashtagging. News doing it. Yeah. And honestly, you look at what happened at the UN, that is 100% a consequence of the fact yes. that Iranians are speaking up, speaking out, educating, using hashtags, reposting. You know, it's because that public pressure is being kept up without the help of any kind of mainstream news apparatus. I think mm-hmm. that part of it is also a very fascinating component of this revolution. It's both a women's revolution and a Gen Z revolution. Yes. Mm. I love that. What are some of the hashtags so people can look these up, our listeners? Um, the most- there's definitely, yeah, hashtag Masa Amini is going to be the most popular. But yeah. I mean, there's so many. I mean, there's so many. There's hashtag Tumaj. Tumaj is 
you know, say too much. He's a rapper. He's comparable to Eminem, honestly, in Iran. I mean, he speaks out about the injustices in Iran. And, you know, they are just torturing him in jail. And in jail, they say that they provide, quote unquote, these lawyers for these, you know, political prisoners. Um, and let me just elaborate on this. These political prisoners, these are just people like me and you. Let's say we go out and we protest for women's rights or, you know, Black Lives Matter, whatever it is in America. Imagine being just taken in for just protesting and then like tortured or, you know, put in a position of basically you, a lot of them die. Right. And so Tumaj is actually like a famous rapper in Iran. And you would think that he'd have like quote unquote better treatment because of you know, he's he's famous or he's a rapper, but this is kind of untrue. They provide these lawyers for them that don't actually care for them. And they have the best interests of the Iranian government in mind. And so God knows what's going to happen to this guy, but they have been torturing him. And, um, you know, I just wanted to say shout out to Tumaj. I love him. He just speaks the truth. And of course, the Iranian government tries to silence anyone who says anything. So it really just is breaking my heart. But um, yeah, so that's another one. Tumaj, Masamini, Sean, you want to add some more? Yeah, I think um, one one other, you can also just do hashtag Iran protests. But what's also been fascinating is over the last like two and a half months since this started in mid-September, you've been seeing Iran protests hashtag transforming to Iran revolution. So mm -hmm. you can look at, so you can look at both hashtag Iran protests and hashtag Iran revolution. Um, but I would say, yeah, that th those two and the Massa Amini are the most prominent um, and just like, you know, this was a stat I had seen back in mid-October. But to give you context of how prominent this hashtag Masayamini has become, um, there have been close to 300 million uses of this hashtag. When you, and when you look at, like, in context, when you look at, like, the Black BLM hashtag, that was powerful in and of itself. And that has accumulated around 60, I think it was 65 million um uses since the middle since like 2013 2014 when it began so this is just in two months you're talking about three four hundred million hashtags being used on on platforms which is why this has had such a profound impact on the international community so if you're going to post about it um just even putting that hashtag mass i mean it's so it helpful just, and then yeah, hashtag but, free iran hashtag women life freedom yeah so those are two other big ones that we've been using so yeah, I'm writing some of these down. So keep going. <laughs> yeah. I ain't mad at you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think those are the biggest. I think overall, those are the biggest ones. And they're, and they're honestly, they're a great way to just go on social media and look up what is happening. Because if you just type them in and look at the like top tweets, Iranians have in general been, we've been also kind of instructed by our families in Iran, not only to post about it, but to also like boost posts about this situation too. So that's yes. why... You, if you go look at like, you know, let's say um, Angelina Jolie, she posted something about Iranian, like about the Iranian protesters yes. and supporting them. And if you go look in the comments, there's thousands of comments of Iranian Americans or Iranians around the world commenting, just saying hashtag mass over and over again. And that's because for some reason, we still don't know why, but the Instagram and Twitter and TikTok algorithms have not been favoring the Iranian rebel, like the Iranian protest not hashtags on their own. So mm -hmm. by doing that, you kind of defeat the algorithm and you over you counteract the algorithm by making the uh, hashtag so prominent that it has to come to the top of the for you pages and the um, explore pages because for some reason it's just been like even on my account. One thing I've noticed is 
you know, I, I have just for context, I have like 3,600 Instagram followers and I normally get like six, like six to 700 views per story. Mm-hmm. When I started posting about Iran, my regular posts get six to 700 views. The minute I put hashtag mass, I mean, my views drop to about 100 to 200. Comparable. Cons- Same. Me too for it's me. like consistent across the board. And that's something I've heard from a lot of like you know, Nikki and I have talked about it a lot of Iranians yeah. with like very prominent followings have said the same thing. So it's, it's, yeah. there is something and not to sound conspiratorial because that's not, I don't want to push conspiracies. Yeah. So, so it's just, but I think that it's just something to keep in mind for some reason, Iran is, Iran is a very powerful force in the world. They have a lot of money. Iran's spy organization is one of the most, uh, comprehensive spy organizations of any country in the world so they have resources to use behind the scenes mm-hmm. how they mm-hmm. do it we don't know but that's why we're just basically trying to overpower them overpower them with the force of the people i think right. it's working And just to give you an idea, I mean, of just like how much of a women's rights movement this is, it's, you know, uh, like Sharia law basically says that, I mean, it's just absurd. I'm laughing because this is just so crazy. Women, um, women can become doctors or physicians, but they can't treat men, for example, or they get men get twice as much money as women for alimony. Women can't leave the country without their husband's approval. And if you're a witness for a jury, two women equal one man in court. So basically a woman is a half a person in Iran. Oh, wow. Like, it's like, I'm not even like real, you know? So it's just, it's, it's, you know, we just, we just got to keep hashtagging and just raise awareness about this because we have to change this. This is like, women don't, are not real people. And, and, you know, Sean and I were talking about this earlier Um, the ancient Iranians, like we have Cyrus the Great, who's like notoriously known and has helped save so many people from so many, you know, he saved a lot of Jewish people and Israelis. And um, I mean, this was before, you know, Israel was a country, but still he, you know, and during this time, the Iranian language, actually, we we don't have pronouns. We don't use he and she um, because to just show that we are not, we were not ever a country where the man or woman mattered more than the other. We were seen as equals, same playing field. And it's just crazy how since this regime has happened and taken control of our beautiful mother country, you know, um, we have truly women have become oppressed. And one other thing I wanted to definitely touch on while I, you know, just have the mic here is um, Iran's flag. Okay. So if you notice it, the Islamic Republic of Iran has like the Islamic um, picture in the center. And so actually I noticed, I think it was the U S team with FIFA. They removed that centerpiece because the original piece prior to the revolution was a lion. And now it's like this Islamic, um, you know, completely different, flag and so we're hoping to kind of remove that middle image now um just to kind of stand in solidarity with the iranian people um instead of you know the iranian regime and we want to change that so i just wanted to put that out there yeah i actually had to google it yeah. to make sure that i was looking at hmm. yeah and i think one thing another very um something that a lot of people don't know about like the persian empire i saw this kind of quote on social media yesterday And it was basically talking about how, like, it was just explaining that, like, Iranians are not fighting for a Western world. Like, they are fighting for freedom, but they are not fighting to become America, but they are fighting to get their Iran back. Because if you look at the history of Persia, and like Alniki touched on Cyrus the Great, Cyrus the Great was the first known, um, historically, was the Persians were the first peoples to put 
the actual indoctrination of human rights into law. So they were the first individuals to, the, Cyrus the Great came in, he freed all slaves. He basically said that everyone had the right to live their life the way they chose, no matter their sex, gender, race, religion, etc. So the one thing about the Persian Empire that is actually very similar to what we call the Great American Experiment of diversity is that the Persian Empire was not your traditional empire where they would go in and conquer an area of the world and then go in and say, listen, now you are, at the time, the religion was Zoroastrianism for Persian Empire, yeah. but they wouldn't go in and say, no, now you're Zoroastrian, now you're Persian, you're not Greek anymore, you're not Babylonian anymore, you're not, etc. They would say, no, you guys can keep your religion. You can be who you want to be. We are a multicultural society but we will collect taxes from you. So I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, at the end of the day, it was an empire. It wasn't perfect. But just that in and of itself, it bring, it airs a lot of similarity to the United States. And that's also why you see Iranian women are the, are the first ones in the Middle East to rise up against this notion, just women. I mean, I myself, I'm part of the LGBT community. The LGBT community is rising up as well. You know, people of color in Iran are rising up. People of you know, all backgrounds, all ethnicities are rising up. And the reason for that is, is because Iran's history until 43 years ago, when the Islamic Republic took over, we were not a society of oppression. I think when you look around at the surrounding countries, especially in the Arab world, um, the Arab world, unfortunately, has been more subjected to, um, to this kind of autocratic, monarchical, yep. repressive regime for much longer. So um, a lot of people in the U.S., they oftentimes conflate Iran with the Arab countries, but they're very different. And that's why you're seeing Iranian women rise up, because Iranian women are not used to this. And I always tell people, I'm like, and Nikki can definitely attest to this. Yes. I'm like, if you, if you know an Iranian woman, go please try and tell her what to do and see how successful the <laughs> We are fighters in our blood, and we are very oh. successful, educated people. That's for sure. That's for sure. You know. So I think in general, like that's something to keep in mind, especially for those who don't know much about the Middle East, is that the reason this is different is because Iran is very different. And you also have to think about all the foreign actors that are very interested in not seeing this succeed in Iran. Because if Iranian women succeed in creating a Middle Eastern government based off of women's rights and women at the center of it, you better think that's got to scare Saudi Arabia, the UAE. Yeah. All these, you know, all these countries that have made patriarchal societies that like have successfully repressed women, unfortunately. But you better you have to think like how that would reverberate through their societies, which is why you're going to see these people getting involved more and more from the surrounding countries just because it's in their interest to not see Iranian women succeed. But despite that, I think I, I feel quite certain that we will succeed. But amen. What do you think is going to happen? next because i saw that there was about three or four people that have died 43 children and about 26 women what do you think mm -hmm. do you think that's going to increase out of what do you think is going to happen within the next say 30 days before the new year's out unfortunately um well, so i can go first i guess but unfortunately i the way that this goes the fact that the regime is not afraid to be brutal those mm -hmm. deaths are going to continue to escalate you're going to continue to see more and more people killed they're not going to shy away from killing children. They're not going to shy away from killing disabled people. They will go after anybody. I and mean, this regime is brutal. But what is at this point, what is happening and that you're seeing is every time the regime does something brutal, 
it actually galvanizes the people even more. And if you look back at the history of the initial revolution in 1979, the Shah's government, who was also a dictator, not, not nearly as brutal, but still had a significant amount of brutality, mm-hmm. um, they made similar mistakes where they would come in and they would you know, come in, open gunfire, kill like 30, 40 people in a protest, and then they would back away. And then they would release some prisoners to like make the world think they were doing the right thing. And then people would kind of get an upper hand. So it's a very confusing message they're sending to people. But every time they increase their brutality at this point, it's only bringing out more people. So I think what you're going to see is you're going to continue to see an escalation. The oil and steel workers, for the most part, are still striking in the country, Mm -hmm. as far as we know. And we're about to enter the winter. So this is that's the whole that's the whole thought process behind having oil workers strike in an industry that really supplies the Islamic regime with their money. You're thinking now at this point, they're already crippled by sanctions. The steel workers, oil workers are striking. The weather's going to get colder. The demand is going to go up. They're going to really become crunch for cash because they're not going to be able to access their reserves. You think the Iranian Republic can exacerbate what's already happening by, if if supposedly they kill more, of course there's going to be retribution to that. Do you think I mean, yeah, they're, I do. they're always doing like, that? Yeah, they always do that one. to scare people. They do that to scare people. But I think the people have had enough. And I think that right now, like there's more people than like, you know, these governmental people, the Ayatollahs who are trying to knock them down and hurt them and kill them and scare them, even despite all these hangings and rapes and torture that they're doing. I think that the people will overthrow the government. But I agree with Sean that it's going to take time and it's going to take. You know, so many people are unfortunately going to have to get killed, just like in any revolution in any country. You have to lose some people, sadly, to get your human rights. So, so my, think- my, concern, my concern is how far will the government go? That, that's, that's my concern. I, well, they're animals. Already. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't even call them animals. Animals are way better than they're savages. They're barbaric. You know, animals are, I love my dog as he sits next to me. I shouldn't say that. But I mean, and that's the problem. That's the thing. I don't know if you, you know, people were saying, oh, you know, a couple, you know, days ago or weeks ago, they posted that there are 16,000 prisoners in Iran and political prisoners in imminent danger. And then some people are saying, oh, well, this isn't true. They haven't killed them yet. So it doesn't matter. And it's it's not, that's the thing. The Iranian government is capable of murdering every single one of these prisoners. It's just a matter of, yes, they kind of overthrew it in the parliament, in the Congress, but the judiciary branch still hasn't voted to murder every single one of them or execute every single one of them. But the Iranian government is 100% capable of, you know, hurting its people because it frankly doesn't give a shit about its people. And so that's the scariest part. But I think, yeah, like, you know, you're like, how far will they go? They'll, they'll go as far as they can because it's literally a war now. It's a war and it's a revolution and it's against people with their bare hands and the militia with guns and, you know, they're shooting people and it's an unfair fight. But and that's just the sad reality of what's happening there right now. And I think um, also in that regard is like just an example of how far they're willing to go and also an example of how they really are wishy-washy in their decision-making. Like, for example, one of the first political prisoners who's been actually officially sentenced to death, which I believe there are three who have officially been sentenced. There's a guy named um, Majid Reza Rahnavard, mm-hmm. um, and he was just a dissident, basically. He, he has uh, been accused of crimes against God. Um, so which is punishable by death. 
they had stated two days ago that they would, were planning to hang him publicly in the town of Mashhad in Iran, and they were going to do a public hanging to put him on display. That was supposed to happen yesterday. I haven't seen any news about it. My cousin in Iran is telling me that he hasn't heard that it's happened. So there is this show, like they're trying to basically go back to their like very archaic, barbaric, medieval methods of scare tactics. But you see the fact that it hasn't necessarily happened yet shows you that there is hesitation within the ranks, right? There are, there is a debate. And I think that's what you're seeing is you're seeing kind of a crumbling of the solidarity of the governmental forces. Because also, if you look back at, um, like the green movement. If you look back at the other mo- moments where protests have erupted across Iran, the government has been able to successfully mobilize its uh, at least a political theater of a show of its own supporters, where they bring out the heavy Islamic supporters. They you know kind of pit them against the freedoms, the freedom fighters, etc. This time around, the government has not. You haven't seen anywhere in Iran, like a large show of Islamic support, which to me, and from what I've heard from other experts, is that that really shows that there are cracks within the system. And I think it's not that the government is going, not going to try to be brutal, but getting the general consensus from within the government of what the right track is, that's where you're starting to see there being a lot of fumbling and that's what is good, at least for the freedom fighters, is because those cracks just show instability. And eventually those cracks will get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's why I think, you know, you're kind of asking, like, what are the next steps? There are a few key components. Like, you really do need to start seeing, like, the Revolutionary Guard members. You have to start seeing them eventually turn. You kind of have to give that. You have to see those police forces eventually being like, well, why the hell am I fighting for this government when I'm just going to get killed or I'm going to get abused or hurt? What am I fighting for? Which is also what you're seeing like in Russia and Ukraine, the Russian soldiers, they're all showing up there like 18 year old kids who have no idea what's going on. And they're like, wait, why the hell are we fighting these people? Yeah. You know, so I think over time, my my hope and what I'm noticing is I think that will start to happen. Um, But you need that to kind of that that shift in the morale of the actual guard themselves to start occurring so we'll see but i think if this holds up long enough a lot of guard members will start to question why exactly they are fighting for this government if they do believe that government's on the way out so society is really really interesting um it, it, it runs in phases do you think this will die down like black lives matter was really prominent it was at its pinnacle on every social media platform everything hashtag and then it went, it kind of like settled, settled a little bit, just like uh, Ukraine, the war in Ukraine, people were changing their flags on Facebook and all that. Do you think this will hold out longer? I think they don't have a choice the way that um, the way that like the Black Lives Matter movement here, it, it dev- you know, I, I feel that it's still it has going, created, it's, not, it's, it's still it's going for sure. Yeah. But I think the difference is in Iran, the protesters have reached a point now where if they're just the, so if, frustrated, yeah, they're so if, frustrated. Yeah. And if they retreat, like if, if you see a retreat of the Iranian people, the government is not just going to be like, okay, guys, like we fought a little bit. It's going to be fine. It's like, no, no. If they, if the protesters retreat this time, the government, the only way they can maintain their power and strengthen their power is they have to come in and say, Oh, any of you, who spoke out against us, 
we're going to kill you. We're going to throw mm-hmm. you in jail. Their we're family we're, members, their their kids, their everything. Yeah. Like it's not just like just that person. It's everyone associated mm-hmm. with them. So, I mean, and it's like okay, I think the Iranian people are at that point. It's like why have we had this much bloodshed for what? I think they're going to take it to the end because, yeah. like I said before, like it's been silenced before with the Green Movement and the other things. But I think the Iranian people have had enough, and so they've seen too many people die and their family members, innocent people, just literally on the street being shot at. Um, and I think that they're, they're, they've had enough. Enough is enough. Yeah. And, I, and that's where I think, you know, like we were kind of talking about, it, I don't think it's going to die down. I just think what's going to have to happen is it's going to have to reach a point of like further organization where you're yeah. going to, like right now there is no clear leader. Like the leader Correct. of the, which, which I think is good for the time being. Yeah, because they, they take the head off the, the snake. Exactly. And you saw that here with like Black Lives Matter movement. Like any, like pretty much any like black female who was like protesting and was like organizing protests was being galvanized, especially by kind of like the, the more right wing media environment as being like, oh, look at this corrupt individual. Look at how they yeah. spent their money, blah, blah, this and that. Or Satan. So, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, it, but like, you don't have that right now where like, that's why the government is just kind of being like, oh, it's, it's America and Israel because they can't point to anybody, you know? Right. Um, so, but I think eventually they're going to need somebody. The question is, who is that? And we still don't know. But for mm-hmm. the, once, once that happens, I think you'll start to see things evolve in a way that people will kind of hopefully have more of a, I guess, rally around the flag, but rather around an individual and the ideology but until we find that person, they're going to have to continue essentially crippling the government from within. The people are right. going to have to just continue fighting. And what has been inspiring is that they're not asking for like the U.S. to come in and like bomb the government. They're not asking for the world to come in and intervene militarily. They're just saying, please don't forget about us. We're going to do this ourselves. But keep an eye on us and protect us where you can. You know? So that in and of itself to me shows a sense of um, willingness to fight and they know it's going to take a while so it could take a few months it could even take up to a year you know or maybe even hopefully not but maybe even longer yeah. but I, it sounds like people are in it like they're in it to win it essentially yes you know well, should, so what are some of the programs that people can assist and like whether it be uh, donations um, petitions what are some of the programs or websites they can go to even Instagrams yeah um, so I would say on Instagrams, like I mean, you know, both Nikki and I are posting about it like, yeah. pretty much on a daily daily basis. Like, um, but some of the some of the Instagrams you can um, look at. There is an individual; she's an actress, an Iranian actress. Her name is Tara Grammy, G R A M M Y. She posts a great deal about what's going on. There's another one um, that I follow. Her name is it's her Instagram handle is Ava for President. Um, it's like A A V A for President. Um, she also posts a lot of footage from within Iran that she gets firsthand. There is Mazanin Bonyadi, yep. who is an actress and activist. Um, so um, I would know. also, I would also, um, sorry, I think you guys can hear me as well, but um, yeah. Chelsea hearts me. I really like her page too. She's actually not even Iranian, but she's been a huge advocate and voice for everything that's been happening. So I would encourage you to follow her because she doesn't, you know, she speaks more in English and it's not all the news is in Farsi. So people are able to follow her and just get kind of educated about what's going on and get a play by play about what's happening. 
Yeah. Now, can you, can they I, follow you guys as well? Like, if they want your Instagram, yeah. can they? Of course. What's your guys' Instagram? If you don't mind saying it. Of course. So I'm finding Nikki, um, like finding Nemo, but N-I-K-I okay. is how we spell my name. And then, Sean, you go ahead. Yeah, and then mine's just um, Dr. Sean, D-R-S-E-A-N. Uh, no spaces or anything. But, yeah, both of us are posting. I've, I've pretty much, my page has now become fully all about Iran. Um, yeah. With a few little plastic surgery updates sprinkled in, but otherwise, uh, <laughs> I think I think overall it's just we all yeah, kind of we're both use our platforms. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, before we wrap this up, uh, do you guys have anything to say to our audience, our listeners? Um, I guess just thank you so much for just taking time to listen and educate yourselves about what is going on in Iran because it is really frustrating not getting as much coverage as we'd like about, you know, you know, people trying to advocate and use their voice and change essentially a country that's been oppressed for so long. And um, yeah, just don't give up on us and continue sharing and hashtagging um, as there has been a lot of, you know, censoring under the Iranian regime. So please just keep hashtagging some of those hashtags that, you know, Sean and I uh, mentioned earlier and follow some of those Instagram pages and just thank you so much. Yeah, and kind of basically what, you know, piggybacking <laughs> off what Nikki said, thank you to everybody who has been posting about it. Like I will say, anytime I see any of my specifically non-Iranian friends post something, like anything about Iran, just to educate their own followers, even if it's 200 followers, um, it genuinely brings a smile to my face. And like anybody in Iran who I've talked to, they say the same thing. So just, um, it may seem like a totally futile thing to do to just post on your story about it. But in this case, it actually matters. Um, and, you know, if you really are wondering, why does this matter for you? I really emphasize the fact that like, yes, Iran is a distant country and a distant place. And Iranians are not like perfect specimens of people and this and that, but we are human beings. And to have a revolution that succeeds, with, you know, a woman, like with women of color at the helm of it. It's something that one, the world hasn't really seen in the modern era. And two, I think the consequence of something like that would reverberate through the entire world. And it would not only help women, it would not only help people of color, you know, it would it would help to advance the narrative and the um, you know, the rights of any marginalized person in the world. So if, if you know, if you want to care about something, I think this is a incredible cause to get behind. And I think if the Iranian women can win this fight, we all win this fight together. So yeah, thank you all for listening and taking the time. And, you know, hopefully we see you on the other side of the victory. <laughs> thank you so much. And uh, thank you too for uh, joining me on Enlighten Me and uh, speaking. I think this is, uh, I like subjects like these that may actually make a huge difference. Yeah, talking about relationships and all that's good, but stuff like this is what really matters, you know. Um, we appreciate you so you. much, Julian. You have no idea. Yeah. Like, thank you for allowing us Seriously. to use this as a platform to help, you know, our people and just, you know, everyone. This is going to have an impact on everyone. So, yeah, but, yeah I mean, it's been a pleasure. In 80 countries, 80 countries, 11 platforms. So, Let's just blast yeah. this out. There you yeah. go. Make a change. But uh, thank you. Awesome. I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you all for listening to Enlighten Me. We're signing off.